Thank you so much for having me back and for this opportunity to get to share God's Word with you. Um, let me just share a couple of quick updates about life since uh, we were able to come down here last to preach. Um, first, the most immediate thing is that um, I'm just coming off of a cold and then yesterday uh, ended up getting a stomach bug. So if I don't shake your hand after service, it's not personal. I just don't want to be sharing my germs with you all. Um, so a heads up on that. The second is uh, my wife and I on October 9th got to have the joy of welcoming our first child into our lives, um, Braylon Charlotte Ray, Edwards Luce. And I should have got a picture for you all to thank you. Um, we should have uh, got a picture to put up, but I do have a nice one in my wallet to be able to show all of you, and I have more photos of her on my phone than anybody else in the two months that uh, she's been alive, so it's been a joy for her uh, to be part of our lives uh, as well. I want to thank you, of course, again for your partnership with us in the gospel. Through your partnership, we've literally been able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with hundreds of people within our community. Because of your partnership, uh, those places of darkness uh, are able to hear the hope of the gospel offered to them in Christ. Those who have houses but have not known what it's like to have a home have been able to experience what it's like to have a family united together in Jesus Christ. And so your partnership with us is impacting people in the northeast region of Washington, D.C. Um, I want to thank you for that and for the opportunity for us to follow God's will for us in that region. We'll be reading from Luke uh, chapter 14 today, verses 12 through 24. And as you're turning there, I want to situate us a little bit in what we'll be reading because we kind of drop in on an interesting situation. We, we get dropped in the middle of, I would say, a rather awkward situation. I don't know um, if any of you had one of these folks with you at Christmas this year, but we have uh, a very awkward and difficult dinner guest uh, in this passage. Jesus has been invited to dine at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees, and we know that this invitation to dine with them wasn't genuine or friendly, because in verse 1 of chapter 14, we are told that the Pharisees had invited them in order to watch him closely and carefully. And before the dinner guests have even sat down, the uh, Jesus challenges their understanding of the Sabbath by asking them if it is lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath, and they give no answer. Uh, Jesus proceeds to heal the man with edema, which is a, a large amount of water retention, and then asks them, if your own child or one of your oxen, some of your property would fall down a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you heal them? Wouldn't you come to rescue them? Uh, kind of saying, you can show kindness to your own family, to your own property, but will you show kindness to your own people. He then, as the dinner party, as the doors open up and the Pharisees are all racing for the best house, uh, seat in the house rather, Jesus scolds them by saying that they should choose the lesser seat and be able to, if the master sees fit, to bring them up to be put into a more esteemed seat. For those who are exalted will be humbled and those who are humbled will be exalted." So dinner hasn't even been served yet, and Jesus has already given a couple of good stirs to the proverbial pot. He's ruffled people's feathers, and he's challenging the established order of things. And that, in that moment, is where we drop into today's text. So let's turn to God's word now in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Then one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Let us pray. God, we thank you once again this day for your word, that you have preserved it for us, that it is good to us. That as we taste of it this morning, that it may be sweet to us, that it may strengthen us, challenge us, and guide us in our walk of faithful service to you. Amen. Many of you, I'm sure, have gone about the hard work of putting together a guest list for a big party. Uh, the most memorable occasion that I can remember was for our wedding about 10 years ago. My wife and I had just recently graduated from college, and we were both on the track and field team. That's where we met. And so if you know anything about track teams, they are massive. There, there's, I think, 21 events uh, on a track and field team, and there's both men's and women's uh, that will go together to these events. So the team itself ends up being well over 100 people, and uh, both Aubrey and I were captains on the team, so we knew people well from that group. We knew people from college, and we decided as we started putting together our guest list that we were going to go through all of our family and friends, all of our teammates from college, our church family, friends from work, from grad school, and we'd put together every person that we could think of that we'd like to be at this party. And by the end of that exercise, we had over 400 people written down for a venue that could only hold 175 comfortably. And so we had to begin the hard work of figuring out who's going to be on our guest list, who's going to make the cut. Today's passage and the entirety of this dinner conversation, which starts in verse 1, like I was sharing before we read uh, today's passage, this whole dinner party focuses on one question that Jesus repeatedly asked the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. He's asking, who is on the guest list of the great wedding feast between Jesus and his bride, the church? 
And just to make sure that we're all on the same page, uh, there would have been understanding even in that time in redemptive history that at the end of time, God was going to welcome in people from all nations, all tribes to gather together to worship him and to celebrate at this great feast. One of the great promises that we hear of this feast in the Old Testament is from Isaiah 25. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This banquet that we hear about in Isaiah 25, and as many of us are probably familiar, is also mentioned at the end of the book of Revelation. This is the banquet that is on Jesus' mind throughout today's passage. And through his teaching, he is asking us, who receives the invitation to the great banquet? And does our understanding of the guest list match up with the one that God has made for his feast? This is the question we're going to wrestle with today, and so we're going to start out by jumping back to Jesus keeping the party awkward. He has questioned everyone at the beginning of their understanding of the law, right? That's what he was getting at when talking about the Sabbath. He then questioned all of the guests, saying, why did you choose to race after the best seat in the house and not seek to live a life of humility and be brought up if the master sees fit? So he's gone towards everyone, he's gone towards the guests, now he turns his attention to the host, even, who invited him to the party. And Jesus criticized his guest list in verse 12, saying this, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Right? Talk about a difficult dinner guest. Really quick, I want to actually, Sarah, that I actually read of a pastor who, when he was preaching on uh, this particular passage, uh, the very next week received three dinner invitations from congregants that very next week, which got him wondering which group people thought that he was in. So if you invite Walt or Day or Ryan, uh, maybe you should explain where, where you think their position is and everything. But anyways, the, the point of this passage isn't to tell us that we should only have meals with the poor and the lame, right? And, and first, I want to say that this passage is really does lift up those who are the lame, the poor, and the crippled, and does emphasize their importance in the kingdom of God, but that's really not the emphasis only on the passage, where we know that Jesus himself, on the institution of the Lord's Supper, he dined with his disciples whom he calls friends, so Jesus, trying to kind of hyperbolize, exaggerate to be able to make the point, says that these are the people that you should be inviting the poor, the crippled, and the lame because you haven't invited any of them. So he's exaggerating this statement to make a point. And for the Pharisees, right, we hear of their point of view throughout the gospel text that they believe it was those who upheld the law from their birth, the people who didn't hold the title of sinner who were welcome to this feast. 
One of the more memorable occasions of this playing out within the scriptures where we hear this kind of dynamic is when Jesus tells the story of one of the Pharisees and a tax collector going to the temple to pray. And how the passage goes is that the the Pharisee prayed saying this, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like one of the other, these other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, not being able to even lift up his head, beat his chest and said to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And to the surprise of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, when Jesus concluded that parable, He says that it's the tax collector in the story who is justified, the tax collector who's going to receive the invitation to the feast, not the Pharisee. Do you hear in this story that is those who have humbled themselves who receive the invitation to the feast, the ones who have nothing to bring, who rely solely upon the charity of the hosts who are welcome to the table? Because that's what's going on here. That's what Jesus is trying to emphasize to the guests. It's only the poor and the blind, the down and out, those who are in the back of the line who are able to have a reservation in their name. There's two things, at least, that I believe that this truth calls us to. The first, it calls us to examine our own hearts to think which place we find ourselves in this story? Do we find ourselves amongst the Pharisees who think that they have earned themselves a spot at the table because of their kindness to others, because of what they can do to God, because of what they can bring to the table? Or do we find ourselves among the people in the back of the line, the down and outs, who, as the great hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This, my friends, is the call and the challenge of the gospel. To those who thirst, come, who drink, come and drink. To those who are hungry, come and eat. To those who are in need, who can bring nothing to the table, the gospel message is for you. Will you come with nothing to offer? And will you trust alone in Christ's work for you that His blood alone has purchased a seat at the table for you. Come to the table with nothing in your hands to bring, but trust solely upon the work of Jesus Christ. Do not be like the religious leaders of the day. Do not be like the Pharisees who came and said, I will rely upon God's grace, sure, but I also rely upon my merit, upon my work, upon my reputation. Come to the feast Because the invitation to us is only purchased by the blood of Christ and His alone. We cannot rely on our own work, our own deeds, but we must rely upon Jesus to be able to receive an invitation to this table. The second point I want to draw out of this portion of the text is how it should shape the way we think about God's people which is the church, the people when you look around here right now, are the people of God. And if those who receive a table reservation are the down and outs, the 
the people who are humbled in spirit, then it should be the case that we see his church not as a place where we boast in ourselves and our great deeds, but boast solely in Christ and his work as we look forward to his coming. So since it being the Christmas season, I want to ask, have any of you seen the really old clay animation, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? All right, good. We got some hands raised. I love Christmas movies, and that has to be one of the high ones on my list of enjoying to go back and watch it. It has you know, the famous characters such as Herbie the Elf, who wants to be a dentist, not wanting to work in the toy shop. Of course, we have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and we've got Yukon Cornelius, the greatest prospector in the north, trying to find silver and gold, but only never able to do so. And at one point in the movie, these three end up in the Island of Misfit Toys. Do you all remember that part in the movie, the Island of Misfit Toys? It's a place where discarded toys of the world that no little boy or girl loves is taken to have a home and wait for Santa to come and finally bring them to their forever home. And there we meet such characters as, instead of Jack in the Box, they meet Charlie in the Box, a water pistol who you would think should shoot water, actually shoots jelly, and a cowboy who rides an ostrich, we find out. I bring this all up because, you see, God's people are misfits. We are misfits, and God's church is the island of misfit toys. And for us to think that we are Santa's workshop where everything is nice, where everything is put together and the way it's supposed to be puts us dangerously close to being in the self-righteous home of the Pharisees. Church is going to be messy. Church is going to be a place full of misfits. Things are not going to go perfectly or be perfectly polished. Our place here is much more like a hospital than a country club like the land of misfit toys, then Santa's workshop. And so things sometimes are not going to go smoothly here. And I'm sure that your pastors, Walt and Ryan and Day, will nod their heads in agreement that that is much more how church is like, being a hospital rather than a workshop. And I would encourage us to think and give pause to our pastors and leaders that when they aren't as available as you'd like because they're trying to tend to the next visit at this hospital, remember to view this church as this place as those who are in need, that it is made for the sick, the poor, and the lame in spirit, and that we are to work together to care for one another as one family as we collectively wait for the coming of Christ who will take us to our forever home. And so back to the awkward dinner party, right? I've said that Jesus has now given three big stirs of the pot. He's insulted the host of the party even and, you know, if you're like me, sometimes you feel the awkwardness of the situation and you think to yourself, man, I, I feel like there's got to be some way that I can try to, you know, soften things up a little bit, try to make things uh, a little easier. And we actually find ourselves witnessing uh, somebody at the party just like that, trying to say something that he thinks everybody should just be able to agree on and then we can enjoy the food. So this guest. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. It's like everyone should be able to nod their heads and say, yeah, yeah, I agree, that, that's good, and let's move on. 
But Jesus isn't taking the bait, and he's going to land one more blow on the dinner party. And he tells the story that some call the parable of the great, great banquet. Now, let me explain the custom of the day to try to help us to understand what's going on in this situation. We can better understand the story. When one would prepare for a great banquet in Jesus' day, what they would end up doing is they would send out a first invitation. We kind of do something similar to this today when we send out an RSVP uh, to save the date. We're trying to get a head count so that uh, folks can know, all right, how much food do I need to prepare How many animals do I need to slaughter? How many seats need to be prepared for this table so that they'll know, right, we're not going to have too little or too much. We want to do a good job of providing for this party. So this first invitation has already gone out. Okay, that's, that's where we're at in today's story. The invitation has gone out. People have already responded saying, yes, I will come or no, I will not. And where we find ourselves in the story, the parable of the great banquet, is that now the dinner bell is being rung, essentially. The second invitation is going out to say, all right, the feast is ready. Things are prepared. It's time for you to put on your shoes and start walking over to the party because we're, we're ready. It's happening. So we are on basically the day of the feast, and for us even today, we understand that to reject uh, such a situation, for us to have already RSVP'd and then to back out, is typically considered a little rude if you don't have a good reason, and this was all the more so in Jesus' day. A seat had been prepared, and the, the invitation has gone out, and what we end up hearing is a list of excuses that really aren't even good according to our own standards. I mean, the first two excuses are truly bizarre. The first guest says that he has bought a field and needs to go see it so he cannot come to the party. And the second says that he has bought five yoke or ten oxen and needs to go examine them, and he also needs to be excused. See, the oddity of this situation is is twofold. The first, the actions themselves are bizarre. One scholar that I was reading on this passage was saying it's the equivalent of you buying a whole lot of used cars sight unseen and then saying afterwards as the money has already been exchanged, I need to go inspect them now to see what I've purchased. It's a really bizarre request. The second oddity though is that neither of these excuses are really time sensitive. Neither of these people needed to see the land or the oxen that very day. It is to be assumed that both of them can wait until tomorrow, until after the party has finished. And then the third excuse, though it may feel a little bit more understandable, also is still puzzling. The man says that he has married a wife and therefore cannot come to the party. The oddity is that just like for our day, even more so in Jesus' day, that a wedding isn't something that just comes up, right? Either he would have known that his wedding was coming when he accepted the invitation and said yes, or he would have decided to just plan to have his wedding right over the time of this party that he'd already RSVP'd to, to say that he would come. Either way, he is disregarding the significance of this party and simply ignoring it, forgetting it, and when somebody comes to remind him of his RSVP, he says, oh yeah, I, I forgot, I I need to say that I can't make it because I've married a wife this day. And so we see in all of these situations, the excuses that they bring 
are rather strange. Having grown up myself and surrounded by farmland, I have um, a bit of an interest, a a like towards country music. And one song uh, by Kenny Chesney, I think, sums up the attitude of these guests well. It's called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Go Now. Folks know that song? Anyone? Yeah, great. We got some laughs. So it goes something like this. Preacher, maybe you didn't see me. Put an extra 20 in the plate. One for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Here's a 10 to help you remember next time you got the good Lord's ear. Maybe preacher and you didn't know, but I'm having fun down here. Don't you know that? And then it goes into the chorus. So you see the mindset, it's very similar to these invited guests. They're more concerned with this world than following after the will of God and looking forward with anticipation to that blessed feast at Christ's second coming. Say, I'm good right now. Yeah, that sounds like something good to happen down in the future. You know, I want to go there, but I'm having fun right now. So the master of the feast then tells the servant to go to the crippled, to the lame from the town, to join in, to which the servant replies that he's already done this. This has already happened. There are still seats available. And the master says this, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Friends, let me tell you, that the people who were invited to that feast where Jesus was at, if they had ears to understand what Jesus was saying, would have understood the sting that he was trying to lay on in that moment. Because the first invited guests, they were the ones with the excuses, right? They were being identified as the Pharisees in this story, the people who were at this party. And so Jesus, right, saying that he had gone to them with the good news of the gospel, that they had made their excuses, he chose to turn to the outcast, the humbled, the down and outs, and invite them to the feast, but still room remained, he says. And so in saying this, Jesus is foreshadowing what he would bring by his Holy Spirit when the day of Pentecost came, and his message went out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so for all of us in this room today, unless you have some Jewish heritage, your place in the story is that you are the people on the highways, in the hedges, who get to take a seat, who get to take the seat of those who rejected Jesus' invitation. But rather than us solely viewing ourselves in that role, I want also for us to think about uh, how we might be similar to those first invited guests to the banquet. Because Paul himself says in Romans 11, for if God himself did not spare the natural branches, right, talking about those who were of the promised community, the Jewish community, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. So let us not think, now hearing from the words of Paul, that we ourselves are, are not at all could be connected to those first wedding guests who were making the excuses. 
The question I want to ask is what are the good things of this world that are drawing us away from anticipation of Christ's second coming? What are the things that help us join in the song that Kenny Chesney says that helps us say, no, God, I'm doing good right here. I am fine. You don't need to come today. Right? I, I've got plans that are more important than you coming to make all things new. We need ourselves to be people who are looking forward to that day, like a little child looks forward to Christmas morning, right? For those who are families, to see the excitement to open those presents on Christmas Day, you know what I'm talking about. That is the heart that we need to have in looking forward to what Christ is doing for us. We need to live prepared for His coming. And we also need to live in that other role. We need to live as the servant as well of the master who continued to invite people into the feast. As one scholar put it, party guests are expected to become party hosts in their turn. Are we turning everywhere that we can to invite people to come to the feast? That's one of the reasons why we chose to plant Port Towns Church where we did. In a presbytery that's been around for decades now, we are the first church planted by the PCA in Prince George's County in the last two decades, as we got to share about last time. As servants to the master, we need to go to the highways and the hedges. We need to go everywhere to spread the news, to give the invitation of of the coming feast, to compel them even, as the text says, to come, to tell others how good this feast is going to be and to do all we can to bring them with us. That, my friends, is the work that you are supporting us to do in Bladensburg, Hyattsville, and the upper Prince George's County ever area. And it is what God calls each of you to do in your own context, to tell the people in your community, in your area, come, come to the feast. The feast that has been purchased by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The feast that is going to compare in all Uh, incomparable to any other feast that we have experienced, a celebration unlike any other. Come to this feast. So friends, Jesus might not have been a great party guest in this story, but we know that he is going to be a great host. Amen? Amen. Let us not forget his invitation to us. Let us not forget that there is nothing that we can bring that merits us to receive that invitation, that it is only by His blood that our name is able to have a place at the table, and that we are privileged to invite all that we can to come and join in that great feast. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for times of celebration, of feasting that we get to experience even day that help us to look forward in anticipation to the feast that is to come. When you wipe away all tears, when the the dark veil is lifted from us, that sin is no more, that death is no more, God, we look forward in anticipation to that day. God, help us. 
we are easily turned away from that anticipation. Small things of this earth can bring us delights that help us forget the goodness of that day that is to come. So help us to, as Tim Keller says, not make good things into the greatest thing. Help us to enjoy things in their place and be able to look forward in anticipation to the greatest of days, the day when our Lord and Savior will return. We might be able to join in the feast, to accept the invitation and come to the table. Amen. Let's stand and worship and look forward to the feast.